So you got all that? A lot, a lot there, a lot of stuff going on. Ushers, come on down. We're sharing our offering. Thank you for giving. Uh, I know that we give as part of our worship. I know that we give. We recognize everything that we have has come from God's gracious hand. But still, I say thank you because it's through your giving ministry happens. So let's share in our offering together this morning. So many things taking place. You just caught some of them. You can go to Church Center and get a full list of all the events. Uh, we have Trunk or Treat coming up. Uh, we're still wide open. If you would love to decorate your trunk and hand out candy, we'll take you. Uh, uh, as long as it's not like a Red Sox type theme, we'll take you. Um, but uh, we'd love to have you do that. Candy, I see many of you bringing candy in today, so thank you for that. We have uh, we have um, a baptismal service coming up November 13th. You've heard me talk about this, and I'll say it again. If you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, you have to ask yourself, why not? Uh, one of the natural steps in our walk with God would be to take that step of baptism. We'd love to have you uh, participate in that service. And so um, think about that, pray about it. And you go again, you go into church center and you can find out the information that you need there. There's so many things taking place. We're coming in at time of year. We collect money for gift cards. We give roughly between eleven dollars and $15,000 of gift cards out. We give them to area schools. Uh, this is one of the entrance points we have to walk into the schools and through the counseling department or through the nurse's office, give gift cards that we can give to families in need for Christmas coming up. Uh, this is the time of year we collect for that. It takes us time to get all these cards actually purchased and then get them here. So that's the time for this. Uh, Operation Christmas Child, so many ways in which to jump into the community of the church, to the life of the church and participate. I hope that you'll, uh, you'll jump into the, some of those areas and join us. Uh, this morning, I'd like to introduce our guests. We have uh, Trevor and Holly Skalberg. Now, they're seated right here, so you can look at them now, and all, every person's looking at you, so uh, I kind of like the pressure that that puts on you. Uh, Trevor and Holly Skalberg are serving as our new district superintendent couple, uh, serving our district. We are part of the group called the Christian Missionary Alliance. Our denomination we're a part of is a part of the New England district, and uh, Trevor just starting the position of dis as dis district superintendent for the past three months. He's been in that position, and they serve together in that capacity. Anyone in ministry knows it's a partnership along the way. So they're our couple, our district superintendent couple. And uh, we've been anxious to have them get here. Um, this has been the first time in the schedule we could make it work so they could be here. It's been a full weekend for them already. Uh, men's breakfast yesterday. We had dinner with them last night. After, after the service this morning, we have lunch with the elders and their spouses. Uh, tomorrow morning is a, a breakfast with the staff. We want to get to know them. We want them to get to know us. We've had a relationship through all the years with all of our district superintendents, and I make this commitment to you. We want this place to be a safe place. Uh, you're going to do a lot of traveling. You're going to be in a lot of places where there's trouble. We're hoping this isn't one of them, but there will be other places where you have to go, things to be worked out, places you have to be. We want this to be a place where if you're even not working, you come up for a weekend, you pop in, and you can be nourished and refreshed in worship and just have this be a resource for you. So we want that for you. We also understand that uh, we have to train them. We, all our past DSs, we've trained them to be exactly what we want them to be. So we're going to start working on you with that too. He seems a little harder to break, but we can, we'll, do, we'll get it done. But I have to tell you this piece. As you get to know them a little bit, hopefully after the service this morning, you'll take time to get to know them. They're just about as real as can be. Um, you can relate to them transparent in their lives. They served 12 years before becoming district superintendent. They served 12 years in New Hampshire, North Conway, New Hampshire. So they understand the, the, you know, the great Northeast, uh, fishing, hunting, doing those kind of things. They have grandchildren, love being with their grandchildren. Howie likes to, we, taking care of the grandchildren, and she loves White Castle hamburgers. And if you have never had one of those, you have no idea what you're missing. She's harassed me because I like them, and she has no idea what she's talking about. But let me give my final story for them. Here we go. So I get a call this week and an email this week, a frantic one from our national office. And every year, we're supposed to do an a, a appraisal of our district superintendent. I happen to be on our district executive committee as the chairman of that committee. And uh, so it falls to me to make sure this appraisal is done. So we get, and it happens every year. It's due like November 1st. And about the 21st, 22nd of October, we get this frantic thing from them that says, we just sent you this stuff. Remember, you got to get this done and filled it in two weeks. They've been here three months. And so I sent a note back that said simply this. They've been here three months. To do an appraisal is going to be a waste of everybody's time. So let me give you the answer that we have as a district so far. So far, so good. 
So that's what we sent to the national office. So please welcome Trevor and Howie Skalberg. And what I can say about them so far, so far so good. Well, it's been a joy being here uh, for a couple days here over the weekend, and, and we get to worship with you this morning, and uh, it truly is a, a blessing as we go around to churches, and, and it, is a, it is a blessing to be here, and you share the, the stage and the rug with me, Scott, so I, I appreciate it tremendously. Um, as we were, um, as, as Scott was kind of introducing us, just a couple of other things um, that as we've come into this role, the first thing that I want to share with you is sometimes I get people ask me, you know, they hear district superintendent and they, they kind of elevate you for some reason. And the next thing that people ask me is, what does that even mean or what do you do? I just tell them it's been three months in. I have no clue. And so I'm waiting for so Scott far, to train so me. Good. So far, so good. So far, so good. And that's, that's what I'll probably start telling them. Um, I am just an ordinary guy that God has called and used in this season, in this role. Um, as Scott shared some of it, we, the last 12 years in New Hampshire, we love the outdoors, everything about it. Um, we love our, we have two daughters with three grandchildren, which are, are it's, they're just a true joy right now in our lives. And so that's been uh, exciting as we have a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. Uh, been a, a great time uh, as grandkids. The other part about me, and I, I'm surprised you didn't share this, Scott, is because uh, this is new to him, is um, I ride a Harley. Um, and we enjoy, even my wife, she gets on the back of there and we, we dress up. And, and we are out there on the open road, uh, not really. But we, we cruise around and we, we enjoy just getting out and uh, just being ordinary people that God is using for this season. I want to start with a scripture this morning, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Paul says to the Philippians, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. I thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to be here at Essex Alliance. I praise you this morning for the story that you've given us. But more importantly, I praise you, God, for your son, Jesus, who you sent to this earth to die a criminal's death on my behalf and on all who would call on the name of Jesus. I pray this morning as we hear your word, I pray that as we, as th these folks listen to the message that you have given me, it would not be my words, as Paul says, that I wouldn't bring lofty words but it simply would be pointing to you, Jesus, and the work that you've done in my life. And so, Father, we lift this time up for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want to start with a little bit of a story. For some of you men, you heard uh, just a little bit of my story of my life coming into ministry, and I said I was going to share a little bit more. And 23 years ago, uh, in July, July 19th, 1999. I remember the, the date as if it was yesterday. It was in, it was a summertime. It was a hot July evening. I, uh, we came from Iowa. So if you're out there trying to figure out uh, what the accent is, we're Midwesterners. And so we, uh, in Iowa, I was a firefighter paramedic for 10 years. And as I was uh, in my days off, I worked for my dad. He had a trucking business. We hauled rock, sand, dirt, whatever would fit in the back of a dump truck, we would haul it. So on that uh, summer evening, I was about 6 p.m., I was out in, uh, in the back of the dump truck. And you guys know what an ice scraper or an ice chipper is? Not the little one you do your windshield with, but the big one like a shovel handle. And so I'm using that, and I get done with cleaning out the back, and I throw it over uh, the side of the truck, and it did exactly what I couldn't do if I tried it a thousand times. It stuck in the ground just perfect. And so I come over the side of the truck, no big deal, like I've done a thousand times, and went to get off, and I get to the tires that are on the, on the truck, and I get to that place, and I jumped, not looking behind me because there wasn't supposed to be anything there. When I jumped and when I hit the ground and what would transpire from there would change the course of my life and our family's life 
for the next 23 years leading to where I'm standing here today. It would take us on a journey of prayer, a journey of much prayer. But if you think about prayer, prayer takes on many forms. So think about it this way. Sometimes we pray out of habit. If you were a family and you had breakfast this morning, you might have sat down at the table and the habit is, okay, everybody fold your, fold your hands, close your eyes, and we're going to say a little prayer, and you have your standard prayer. Those are prayers out of habit. Sometimes we're intentional. We've got time set aside for prayer throughout the day, or maybe you're on your way to work, you have those, those specific times, and we pray out of habit, but isn't prayer really about our relationship with the Lord? That place of connecting with the the God of the universe who wants to hear from us. Sometimes it's in prayer meetings, but sometimes we find that prayer comes out of a necessity. A necessity because we have nowhere else to turn. We've hit rock bottom. We've hit the, the end of our rope. We've gotten to the place where we're like, we have no more wisdom, no more understanding. And, and God, apart from you, there's, I, I, know, I have no idea where to go from here. So I'll ask these questions. What has your prayer life been like? What are you praying for? What are the kinds of things and the kinds of prayers that you pray to the God of the universe for? As you're thinking about this, I want to put up a core value of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. One of the seven core values says this, prayer is the primary work of the people of God. I've always believed this in ministry for the last 20 years. I've believed that, that prayer is our primary work. I, I, can be, I can do good as a pastor, as a church. We can do great things and we can serve the community and we can do, we can do all those things. But if it's not through the power of God that comes from prayer, we have to ask, where does, that, where does the fruit end up taking us? Also, when, when prayer happens, I, I find that it's easy to pray when life is going good. But yet, those are some of the times we decrease our prayer lives. When I say it's easy, I mean that emotionally and physically it's easy to pray because I'm not distracted and I'm not, I'm not hurting and I don't have all these other emotions running around. But yet, those are the times we pull back from prayer sometimes when things are going good. It's easy to pray in a controlled setting, in a prayer meeting, or you are in a group or you're in that place in your home easy to pray. You want to learn how to pray and what to pray for or to find out about the character of your prayer, come down to the Boston area and I'll take you around in a car and you'll find all kinds of new things that you need to be praying for. It doesn't take very long. You get in traffic and you you have people waving at you, kind of funny. You're not used to that wave and you find out that it, it tests your character. It tests who you are and, and there there's a thought that comes into mind that That God, as much as that person's doing that to me, or this is why does this anger come up, I realize that maybe it moves me into a place of prayer. And so in all those types of at home and meetings and habits and being intentional and so on, what about when you're in the thick of it? What about when things in your life are an absolute mess? Sometimes it's actual life and death. Life and death circumstances. Maybe it's conflict and tension at work, at home. Maybe it's in the relationships you find yourself in. How does your prayer go then? What's your heart in that? What's your mindset? Where do you, where do you go in those prayers? Let me return back to my story from 23 years ago. I was climbing down the side of the truck. I got to the tires. They're about that tall. I'm standing there and I go to jump off again like I have a thousand times as a 20-some-year-old man. And I, I jump off kind of backwards, not looking behind me. And as my feet hit the ground, two things happened. One, I felt a sharp pain. And second, I couldn't move. I joke about it today saying I was like a scarecrow. I was standing there and I literally could not move. I couldn't take a step. I couldn't move my body. And I had to figure out in that moment, that thought going through my hand, mind is what had just happened. To spare you the details, I got impaled. I jumped right on top of that ice scraper. 
I was by myself. I was two or 300 yards from the house. I could see my family up at the house. This was the day, so for, for those of you that are younger in the room, this was the day before we had cell phones in our pockets. We had bag phones. You guys remember the bag phones? My bag phone was in the truck. I had no way to call for help, and I'm sitting there stuck. And remember, I'm a, I was a, I'm in a, I'm a paramedic, and so I knew medically all the things that could be going on inside of me. I also knew we were trained, don't, don't remove the object. And so I was by myself, nowhere to go, so I grabbed all the truck. I pulled myself up off of it so that I could go get help. I walked to the shed about 100 yards I called for help. I called 911. It was colleagues, people that I know, and said, get the ambulance come and also get lifelike coming. I knew it could be very serious because of what had happened. You're sitting there saying, well, what does this have to do with prayer? I was taken to the hospital and, and evaluated, and a little short time later, the helicopter came. And I'm on my way to the hospital in the helicopter, and, and, it, and it's kind of an oxymoron because when things quieted down, well, a helicopter's not quiet, but quieted down in the sense that all these people aren't working on me and doing things, I'm sitting there thinking, I really should pray. And some of you might be saying, well, why didn't you pray sooner? Two reasons. I'm a little slow on the take sometimes, Scott. But second is there's a lot of other things going on racing through your mind in those, in those times. And so we're on the way, and I start to pray, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking I don't know if I'm going to live or not. I don't know where this is going to take me. I've got a family with two little girls at home that were there when I just left. And I start to pray to God, the, the, the prayer that any of us would do, God, spare me. God, save me. I just want to get back home to my family. And then I prayed the prayer that I would suggest, be careful praying. God, if you spare me, I will, you can use me for whatever purpose you want. God has a habit of when we plead with him, that he listens. And not only does he listen, he takes serious that prayer. I don't know that I was serious. I don't know that my heart was there. My number one priority was I want to get well. I want to be well. I want to walk away from this. Just so you know, I have three points this morning I want you to walk away with. And the first one is this. As I'm praying in that helicopter, I would come to realize this over time. Up here on the screen, it says prayer matters and is effective. Remember the core value? Prayer is the primary work of the people of God. Prayer matters and is effective. When, when we pray to God, it matters to God. When we pray to God, he listens. You, when we pray, it's connecting with God. He listens and he takes it like we're the only prayer that's coming at him. Jesus gives us great examples of prayer. When we look in the New Testament, there's, there's many different uh, places we can go. And he, he teaches how to pray. He teaches ways in which he goes and prays and how he gets alone and, and so on. But there's one in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, I want to share with you. In this verse, he says, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? We have a Father in heaven. We have a God in heaven. And Jesus is comparing him to our earthly relationships, our earthly fathers. As much as our earthly father is good, and and I know that brings about some some negative connotations with some of our relationships with our earthly, earthly father, but he's saying this. As much as from an earthly parent that we can be good towards our children, our heavenly father is going to do so much more. He's going to do so much more. How many of you sitting here today have ever thought to yourself when you pray, does God even care? Does he even listen when I pray? Big prayers, little prayers, everything in between. Is he really listening? Does he care for me? Know this from the scriptures, God cares deeply. And he listens to every prayer you pray, no matter how insignificant it may seem or how great the prayer There are many more examples Jesus gives about our prayers. 
And what's interesting to me is we've, we've had people over time take some of these types of prayers out of context, and we, we, we get to the place of it's, it, there's this, the prayers that say, if you, you don't have because you don't ask. If you just ask, he wants to give. You, you take the Matthew 7 verse, talks about he wants to give great gifts, and some have taken it, and I call it the prosperity gospel that says that if you just ask God, whatever you want, he's going to give life to you. He's going to give that to you. Ask for a car, he'll give it to you. Have you found that true in your life? I haven't. Does he answer sometimes those ways? Sure. But I found that God isn't always there to be the genie in a bottle that if you just rub it and and tell him what you want, he gives exactly what you want in that manner. If you think prayer doesn't matter, then you read the Scriptures and you see examples. There's one such example in the Old Testament. Um, It's always fascinated me. It's in Exodus chapter 32. And in Exodus 32, Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, and he doesn't come down in a timely fashion. And the people are getting all excited. Keep in mind, they've just been brought out of Egypt from 400 years of slavery. God has done incredible, miraculous things. And all of a sudden, in a 40-day time period, they're like, we don't know if this fellow is coming down off the mountain or not. Give us a, they go to Aaron, give us a leader, give us a God that we can follow. And Aaron gives in and they, they burn their gold in to make a golden idol, a golden calf. God hears and sees it and it angers him. And listen to what it says in Exodus 32, verse 9 through 14. It says in verse 9, Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. He hears what they're doing. He sees what they're doing. The people that he cared enough to bring them out of slavery. And now his anger is burning against them because once again, they're they're pushing him away. But listen to the plea of Moses. He pleads with God. He, in essence, praying with God, he says, verse 11, But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, Why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. And then you get to verse 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. We read this verse, and there's a a couple of theological trains of thought in this. The first one is it's literal. There's a, it's plain and simple. God changed his mind because Moses pleaded for the people. Maybe. Many scholars would say that's not it, that it's actually that God already knew what was going to happen, but really it was more about he was trying to direct Moses to intercede for the people. Either way, two things are at, are at play here. First is our prayers matter. God wants us to pray. He wants us to plea for others and for the circumstances we find ourselves in. He hears us. The second, which is my second point today, is that prayer changes us and aligns our hearts with his heart. God hears our prayers. They matter. They're effective. But second is that prayer is a way for God to change our hearts to align us closer and closer to his will for our lives. Little did I know that that day 23 years ago when I was in the helicopter, that as I would pray, the one thing I did know is I knew God was listening. But I would also come to realize over the next days, weeks, months, years, That God was working in that moment not to just heal me and make me whole. Remember my prayer, God, uh, make make me whole, save me, make, make, make me so I can walk away from this in one piece. And yet I would find that God was really using that to mold me. 
to change me, to align my will and my life with his will. See, prayer, I find, is fascinating. It's fascinating because if God already knows what's going on, you probably have heard this, you probably have questioned this at some point in your life. God, if you already know what's going on, you already know what's going to happen, why do I even need to pray? Well, partly with prayer, it's because God uses our prayers, and they are effective. But also because prayer is as much about our relationship, our relationship of connecting with him, our relationship of going to him, as it is what we're even praying for. Genesis 18, I'll just share this story. I love the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You probably have grown up hearing this story. You've read it. You've studied it. Maybe in in Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 18, we get to that place where Abraham is, is talking to God, and God says, you know, look, Abraham, if there are 50 righteous people, look, I see this. This city is evil. It's as evil as they get. If there are 50 righteous people in that city, I will save it. I won't, my wrath will not burn against it. It doesn't tell us this in Scripture. My, this is kind of my summarizing of it. My paraphrase is that there was a conversation happening. And as this conversation starts to, to happen between Abraham and, and God, Abraham starts to think, well, I know Billy and Joe and Sue, and they're pretty good people. So, God, what if there's, what if there's 45 And it goes on down the list, and and it doesn't tell us this conversation has happened, but then he goes to 40, and then 30, and then 20, and finally gets down to Abraham says, well, God, what what if there are only 10 righteous people? Will you still destroy this city? Do you suppose that when God spoke to Abraham initially and said, if there are just 50, I will save the city, do you suppose that God didn't know that there were not 50 and not 40 and not 30. God knew all along. God knew from the beginning that there weren't even 10 people. I think he was aligning Abraham. I think he was moving Abraham to the place of aligning his heart with God's heart for the wicked, evil place of Sodom and Gomorrah. I found that God has a way of using our circumstances and our prayers to change us and align us. Let me ask you, what are you going through right now? What are you engaged in? What's the circumstance you find yourself in, your life, the stage of life that you're in right now? Where in that, you have to ask the question, God, what are you up to? What's, what's going on? Why aren't you working in this way? When I had my accident, God was aligning that accident, aligning that time in my heart and using my prayer to change me. It wasn't just about making me well again. It wasn't about just making me whole again. But there was a part in there that God was using it to draw me closer to him. And God uses our circumstances and the trials we go through to draw us in. What are you in that place of where you say, oh, I wish this would go away? What I've found that sometimes when we get to that place, that sometimes God is using that circumstance to draw us in closer to him. And maybe we're looking at the circumstance of, hey, I just wish that would go away uh, wrongly instead of, God, how are you wanting to use this to shape me and to change me? The Hebrew writer nails it when he says in Hebrews 4.16, he says this, he says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Hebrew writer, he says, May we come boldly to the throne of God that we would receive his grace and mercy to help us in the time of need. When we find ourselves in the circumstance that we find ourselves in, the trial that we find ourselves in, the conflict we find ourselves in, that we would come before the throne of God to receive from Him, to receive from Him His grace and His mercy in our lives. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to come to His throne. But here's where prayer gets interesting. 
While prayer matters and is effective, and while prayer is about aligning our hearts with God's heart, I found that there's a mystery when it comes to prayer to some degree. And sometimes in that mystery, the, the end result is tough to swallow. How many times as a Christian have you quoted this verse and or someone has quoted it to you in the midst of some really junky stuff? Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Hmm. That's really good when things are going good. That's a great verse when you're sitting in church and, and you're sitting in the padded seats or you're at home on the couch and life is just kind of breezing along and someone quotes that and we can, we can give an amen, right? But what about when you're in, a, in the mess of life and someone quotes this and you're wondering, God, how is this for my good? And we start to, it's not, and, and sometimes we do question God. But sometimes we come to the place just saying, God, what, what are you up to? Let me tell you a little bit more of my story. Just a year ago, I, I said earlier, I think I said earlier, we just yes, uh, Friday we got to celebrate the one-year anniversary of or one-year uh, birthday of our youngest grandson, just turned a year old. But it was a year ago that our, our world got turned upside down. A year ago, in the first part of October, kind of into the middle, we lived over in Conway, New Hampshire, and, and much like a lot of places up in the Northeast, we were somewhat guarded or protected from COVID really getting its fingers into our lives and communities. It was there, but not to the extent we saw in some of the big cities. And so things had kind of returned back to normal, we're going the right direction, and all of a sudden it hit our community. COVID comes in, and we found that on a, it was on a Saturday night. I get a phone call, or I get a text, actually, from one of my elders, a good friend of mine, my age, and he's a young guy, Scott, and my age, he texts me, and he says, hey, I just tested positive for COVID. And at that very moment, I realized, I can't, I can't smell anything right now. So I go t- we go test, and we have COVID. My daughter has COVID. Uh, she's nine months pregnant. And so we, we find ourselves in this place of having COVID, but we really weren't all that sick. She, my wife had a headache. I had a kind of felt like a sinus infection. We were playing games as we were quarantining. Things were great. But we were asking the question, and we called the hospital with my daughter and saying, what if she goes into labor having COVID? And it was a very strange place because what they told her is that, one, nobody can be with you. You'll have to, give, you'll have to go through labor by yourself. Two, you'll have to be dropped off at the back door of the hospital. You can't come in through the emergency room. We don't want you to expose others. And they told us all these things. And so our prayer shifts and says, God, let's, let's, let, this not, let her not go into labor right now. Let's wait until she's done with COVID, all these. And so that's our prayer. Well, God works in mysterious ways and sometimes funny ways and doesn't always listen to me. And so... That night, it was literally that night, uh, or actually early morning, October 22nd, a year ago from yesterday, we get a phone call from my daughter, and she says, I've just went into labor. Mom, can you come and take me to the hospital? Because her husband, they'd been quarantining in their house. He had to stay with their two-year-old son. And so Holly takes and drives our daughter to the hospital, drops her off at the back door. And everything goes great until about mid-morning, we find out that there's complications in her pregnancy and in her delivery. And the complications would take us to a place, her to a place where they said, we have to go now and we're going to do an emergency C-section. My other daughter's a nurse at the hospital. They actually allowed her to be in there since she worked in the hospital so she could be with her. And so they, they do the C-section and the, the baby comes out and is blue. And they take the baby away and for two hours... Hadn't, didn't come back in and say, hey, the baby's doing fine or anything. Took her back to her room and, and all that. And so she's not even sure if the baby's alive or anything. Finally, they come back in with the baby. He's doing fine. And so she has the baby. And, and that first day, everything's going really good. And 
It's the next day and overnight, all of a sudden her oxygen saturation starts to drop and her breathing is starting to change. And, and they're like, We're, we have to give you oxygen. And they start going down this road. And something had happened. If she had just had the C-section or she just had COVID and not both of them together, she would have been fine. But what had happened because of the C-section and the trauma, they gave her a lot of fluids, ended up going to her lungs. And so she, it, she's getting worse. We talked them into letting my wife come, who had COVID, at the end of it, to come and take care of the baby. And so she came, and within an hour of arriving, they took my daughter and moved her to ICU away from her baby, and, and she was caring. So the next day, the baby comes home with us. My daughter's in ICU. At the same time, my elder that I talked about, who had texted me, he's in the ICU with COVID. My mom ends up going into the hospital. She's got cancer as well as then gets COVID. She's in the hospital. So all three are in the same unit, just doors down. Nobody could be with them. Within a few days, so they were in there for about a week in ICU, and things continued to get worse and worse and worse. And finally, they transported, they, they put Michael, our elder, he, they put him on the ventilator and transferred him by life light to Portland, Maine, to Maine Medical Center. The next day, they did the same thing with our daughter, put her on the ventilator, transferred her over um, to, to Maine Med. My mom ends up getting out of the hospital. We're in the middle of this praying, and I want to take you back to this verse in all things, God works for the good. I had well-intentioned Christians coming to me and quoting me that verse. won't tell you what I'd like to have done with them at times. But I believe in that verse. I trust it completely. But you've got to understand, the outcome of that verse may look different at times. We've got to understand that. Here we were. We were praying for my daughter. We were praying for Michael. People all over the country and churches in our district were praying. We had people from other, uh, other nations praying that, that we had connection with. We had prayer vi uh, vigils uh, in other states. They were in a fragile state on the ventilator. And the doctors and nurses would always say, there's a good chance this doesn't turn out well. We trusted that God would work for the good of them. Both families love God. Both individuals love God very much. Almost identical situations with COVID, younger. As a church, we were praying hard for both of them. But here's the interesting piece, the end of the story. One path would, would, would bring about a physical healing, and the other path for the other person would bring about death. Our daughter would be healed physically and come home to her baby, and our elder with a 14-year-old daughter and a wife at home would be brought to heaven with Jesus. This is my third and last point for this morning. God answers our prayer in his sovereignty. Not always about what I want or what I think is best. Usually God doesn't always ask me, Trevor, what do you think is best in this? But in his sovereignty, he answers the prayer. There's a quote from Marshall Siegel from Desiring God Ministries. He says this, praying to a sovereign God also reminds us that even our noblest and purest desires and requests may go unanswered. His providence assures us that if he does not answer, whether immediately or ever, it is because he has a better plan. As painful as unanswered prayers can be, they are far more bearable when we know that the God who loves us is pervasively and meticulously in control of all things, working them for our good. The providence of God the providence meaning that he, he cares for us, his caring provision for his children, for his people as we walk through this life. The sovereignty of God. God is in control. He's the, the ruler of all creation, and yet he's in control, holding it in the palm of his hand, every little thing that happens. And yet this was a struggle. This was a struggle for us to see firsthand how God would choose two separate paths. For two people and two families, what appeared to be in the same situation, we had to trust in the end that God was sovereign, even if we didn't like it to some extent. Let me share the, how in this story these three points that I'm talking about were fleshed out. The first one is prayer matters and is effective. When our daughter was on the ventilator, 
We got to the place where the hospital in Maine allowed one of our family members to come over and spend a, a section of the day with her, just one person. And it was one of the days that I was in with her. We had a, we had a group from Iowa, uh, a, a church family members that we were close with. They were doing a kind of a prayer vigil from like 1 to 3 p.m. And it was in that one day that I was sitting there with her, with my daughter. She's on the ventilator. And I'm watching the machines from 1 to 3 p.m. And I could watch the numbers change. Her oxygen saturation would creep up and her other numbers that needed to come down would come down. During that time, we had people praying. You'll never convince me that prayer doesn't matter and is not effective. The second point of today's prayer is a way for our hearts to be changed and aligned with God. When my wife and I were watching our daughter, a lot of it was from afar, talking to doctors and nurses and getting secondhand information. There's nothing worse as a parent than watching your child, knowing your child is in that state and there's nothing you physically can do for them. We were forced to pray And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that was the only thing we could do was pray. And for both of us, it brought us to the place of crying out to God and truly emptying ourselves before God of saying, God, I can't, there's not a thing I can do about this. My only hope is in you. And God was changing our hearts, aligning our hearts with his. And thirdly, God answers our prayers in his sovereignty. Two separate outcomes. Two separate outcomes in this, total, uh, evidenced by one he gave life to and one physical death, but would call him to be home in heaven, in his sovereignty. I know when we were going through this, we prayed. We had people praying for us all over. But you know how it is when someone calls you and says, hey, will you pray for so-and-so? They just went through this. And your mind doesn't fully connect with, you may pray, but you don't fully understand. So we put together a little video, short video that shows you kind of from when we, right before she went into the hospital to um, after, just to kind of connect. I want to show this video and then we're going to, then I'll wrap, wrap this up. I've seen miracles my mind can't comprehend There is beauty in what I can't understand Jesus, it's you Jesus, it's you Don't you tell me he can't do 
Part of sharing this story and telling people about this is really to point to Jesus, to point to God and what he's done. We praise him for that. But the story didn't end here. Um, for our daughter, if you want to put those other pictures up, there's just a couple of pictures of here just recently. She's been healed. Um, just celebrated that little one's year birthday here just this weekend. Yesterday was the one year. And so our daughter just found out that uh, she did some lung tests and found out she is healed completely 100%. The doctors, nurses, people that even worked on her that didn't think she would make it, they just, they can't understand it. And we keep saying, we know why. But the story didn't end there as well. Um, in one of the pictures as we were just bringing her in, the lady in the background was my mom who was part of this story that we got to celebrate. My daughter came home the day before Thanksgiving and we got to celebrate Thanksgiving together. A few days later, my mom would have another uh, cancer treatment and then she got COVID again. She went back in the hospital. We thought it would be a short stay. She beat it the time before. About a week into it, the doctor calls me and says, there's really not much hope for your mom. Um, we really suggest doing comfort care. So I got to go spend 15 hours watching my mom pass away. In all of this, God is good. But there's something that happens when God's people pray. The flip side is my mom was ready to go home and be with the Lord. She had just lost her mom uh, two years before, my grandma. A month later, my dad would pass away, and my mom was ready. But there's something that happens when God's people pray, privately and corporately. Somehow, in some way, there's kind of a mystery in it and how God works in his sovereignty of how he uses our prayers and the prayers of his people to accomplish his work. You know, so whether it's sickness, such as what we've shared this story or a circumstance, a relationship, whatever it may be that you're going through, never forget that God wants to hear from you. But in all this, I want to close with this. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 again. Understanding prayer is the primary work of the people of God. 
Keep in mind what he says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. You do realize everything means everything. It's not just this situation or circumstance. Everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. His word tells us to do that. But then he goes on to say this, and this is what has been true in our life. It's the true of Scripture. He says, then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That's what we experienced. Was the peace of God that when my grandma, my dad, my mom, this elder, in our flesh, we want to hold on to them, right? They went home to be with the Lord. But God put a peace over us, even with our daughter, a peace over us that guarded our hearts that has brought us here today. Guarded our hearts has given us a peace to share this story specifically and to continue to talk about the significance of prayer. So go from here today in an attitude of prayer about everything. That's where God wants to meet you. Will you stand as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, today I give you all the glory, give you all the praise. We don't have this thing called life figured out, but we know you do. And so we turn to you, and I thank you for the blessing for our family. But at the same time, getting to watch how... Michael's family dealt with his death and how you gave them a peace and comforted them. In the middle of circumstances and trials and relationships and conflict that some even in this room are thinking about right now, how you want to show up and walk beside them through that and how you want to give them peace and guard their hearts as they turn to you. Father, we leave here as a blessed people. And my prayer and challenge is that we would be a people who turn to you in prayer as our primary work. We lift this up to you in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. I pray that you leave here today blessed. Uh, Trevor and Holly, welcome to your new church home. We're glad to have you. We'll be praying for you and support you along the way.